are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. All right. How's everybody doing today? All right. That was like a 25% call and response. I'm more like in the 80% category to feel comfortable. You know what I mean? So how's everybody doing today? That was significantly better. Appreciate the, like, three people that took it up to, like, the 70% mark. Um, Javi, that was late, but you appreciate it, too. Um, hey, I'm excited to jump into the word today. Uh, if you don't know me, I think everybody knows me, so I'm, I'm not going to do that. Usually on the video, we're like, hey, if you don't know me, then we don't know who's watching. Um, but today, we're going to go ahead and dive in. I am extremely excited to be going through, um, continuing our series, Lent. Okay, we're calling it Reflections and Preparations. Um, and really, the reason we're calling it that is because during this season, we are actively reflecting. Okay, we're reflecting on the realities of this world. And although there are a ton of beautiful realities, right? Like we just said, like, thank you, God, for the weather. And thank you, God, for uh, all of the, the, I mean, we really just thank God for the weather. But I look at all you beautiful people. And it's like, yeah, there's a ton of beautiful realities in the world that we can get excited about. But this season is honestly about reflecting on the realities that are not so pretty. The realities of brokenness and the realities of sin and the realities of pain, the realities of brokenness that are in our world. And you may be asking, why in the world um, would you want to stop and reflect on those ideas? Rather than just focusing on like how beautiful the weather is and all the beautiful relationships you may have or your kids or your family, why would you want to stop and focus on those things? And it's because that's where the preparation part comes in, right? We begin to dwell on those realities as we consider the fact that it was Jesus who stepped out of glory and into the midst of that brokenness and that pain and that suffering and that sadness in order to redeem it, right? That, that's why we consider and, and reflect upon those realities so that we can prepare our hearts to celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus as we come to Easter. And so that's what we're doing today. And today, uh, we're going to flip that a little bit, though, because when we're reflecting on brokenness and sadness and actually, Javi, or maybe, Javi, can I get that handheld mic? This is going to drive me crazy. Which one? Uh, the one that he was, there you go, that one right there. I figured uh, that was way better. I figured we'd just call the timeout early. That way we could avoid the whole next like 30 minutes of being being like a massive struggle. All right, we're going to flip that on its head a little bit today, primarily because what we're going to do is it's easy during these seasons of reflection to think about the realities that we're talking about, brokenness, uh, sinfulness, pain, weakness, and to think of how those realities are at work in the people that aren't us. Those people out there. But what we're going to do today is we're going to consider those realities at work in our own lives. We're going to consider temptation. Temptation. And now you might be thinking like, yo, that's, that's a little bit hard to understand because what you're saying is weakness and these realities and brokenness within our own souls and our own hearts. But you're also saying uh, that we're going to talk about temptation, which is, isn't that something that happens to us? Right? Isn't that something that happens outside of us, but, but draws us into uh, the brokenness? Well, 
Kind of, but not really. And rather than try to explain it, I think I want to try to sum it up in a story. All right, we call this the life and times of Josh Guerrero. All right, uh, when I was nine, okay, when I was nine, I want you to track with this nine. So I'm 30, so that would have been right around 2000. Uh, no, it would have been around 1999. All right, 1999. Uh, I was exposed to smoking for the first time. Okay, smoking. My buddy at school gave me a pack of black and miles, and I thought I was the coolest guy on the face of the planet, y'all. I thought I was the coolest guy on the face of the planet. Okay, that was what everyone was doing. That's what all of my friends were doing. So automatically became what I was drawn to, what I longed to partake in. Right after that, and actually about a couple years later, when I was 12, uh, that, that kind of wave of acceptance that I was riding uh, began to move from black and miles to drug use. And so from there, I began to partake in, in marijuana. And a little bit later, about a year later, I was 13, I was arrested for possession of that substance and spent a little bit of time on juvenile probation. This is like the, the real short and sweet of everything here, you know what I mean? And I wish at that point I could look at you and be like, and that's where it all started changing, right? Because I was 13, I was like, man, this is not where I want to end up. And I, I, all of a sudden my whole life changed. But that's not, that's not the way the life in terms of Josh Guerrero is written, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, from there, we get to 17 years old. And at 17, I begin to use, come back to drug use heavily. I'm talking six, seven, eight times a day while I'm pursuing the empty dreams and promises that a career in music promises to people. All of those phases, no matter which one, it all led up to a point right about 19 where I began to become burdened, angry, empty, broken, and that's where the Lord began to work in my life. But I want to pose a question to you, okay? What happened in that story? What happened in that story? Whose fault is it? Whose fault was it? Throw something out there. Feel free to throw something out there. I'm in a hyper-call-and-response mood, and y'all are in a hyper-not-call-and-response mood. So I figured I'm just going to start throwing out the call-and-responses and see what happens. All right? Whose fault do you think it is? Which, which, which one? That's a pretty good answer. My man got ahead of me. He put the cart in front of the horse on me right now. That's okay, though, because you're right. Right? It's easy in those circumstances to say, well, maybe it was the nine-year-old, the other nine-year-old's fault who began to, to put this type of stuff in, in front of little nine-year-old Josh's mind. Maybe it's the other group of guys that decided they wanted to move on to the, to the gateway drug of marijuana. Maybe it was the empty promises of music and glory and, and fame or whatever else you could think of. But in reality, it's easy to say, to say, yeah, yeah, that... Those, yeah, yeah, are all the issues. those are all the issue. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the common denominator, the common denominator in each one of those that seemed to be the circumstances that I was in, but it seemed to be me. I seemed to be the I seemed to be the common denominator. No matter what phase of life I was in, no matter how old I was, no matter um, who I was around, the common denominator at the end of the day seemed to be me. And you see, what the, the reality is, when we think about this idea of temptation, it's oftentimes easy to say, yo, as a young person, you make bad choices, and, and then all of a sudden, everything gets better, and you get older, and you get wiser. But that assumes one thing, that you get older and that you get wiser. The thought becomes, yo, all I got to do is really wait it out. Because if I wait it out, I'll get older, I'll get wiser, the situations will stay the same, and then at the end of the day, everything will naturally get better. But here's the thing. 
as we grow, so does the complexities of the situations and the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And if we're not careful, oftentimes the same mistakes that we made at 13 and 14 become the same mistakes that we make at 30 and 40, except for now we have a job and we have kids and we have, uh, you know, maybe some friends or a marriage and we think we have it under control, but at the end of the day, we're still just that scared kid. We're still just that kid that wants to be approved of by his or her friends. We're still just that kid that justifies him or herself to anyone that's listening, that wrestles with self-centeredness. We're still just that kid. And again, that's where we begin to understand that the common denominator is us. Right? But here's the thing. I want to present to you an idea that what if it's possible for us to overcome temptation in some way, right? That each one of those instances where it's actually my heart that is confronted with all of these complexities, it's my heart that starts to seek after things like acceptance, that starts to seek after things like comparison, that starts to seek after things like identity. What if I were to tell you, right, that there is a possibility that there's, you know, an overcoming to that, that you can overcome it? But that, in that overcoming of it, it, it it's, not, it's not quite as simple as, a, as just saying, like, hey, you just got to buckle down and try harder. Because as difficult as it is to conceive, the, the, the huge part of it, right, as difficult as it can be on us, it, it, it really has nothing to do with us. Okay, now, check this out. Today I want to talk to temptation. I want you to stick with me. Okay, I want you to stick with me primarily because today... I want us to learn a few things about temptation. I want us to understand how to navigate it. I want us to understand how to overcome it. But there's a few things we're going to have to work through as we get there. Now, at the end, the main idea that I want you to walk away with today, all right, the main idea I want you to walk away with is this, that the only true means of overcoming temptation is understanding the victory we already have over it. Okay, the only true means of overcoming temptation is understanding the victory we already have over it. To help us get there, we're going to be in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, as, uh, as Laura read. But we're going to break that text out into a couple of different parts, okay, so that we can really wrestle with it. And the parts are, one, uh, to understand the nature of temptation. To understand the nature of temptation. And the second thing is to understand our victory over temptation, so we need to first understand the nature of temptation. Because if we don't understand the nature of temptation, it's going to be impossible to understand how we could possibly have victory over temptation. But those are going to be the two parts that we break the text down into. I want to go ahead and jump in. Um, I've already been like a little distracted with the whole mic situation. So what I want to do is I want to read just the first verse uh, in this text. And then I want to take a second to pray a short blessing over our time in the Word. And then I want to jump in pretty heavy. All right, so again, we're going to read the first verse in Matthew chapter 4. I want you to read with me. It's going to be... Four one starts like this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. If you would say a short prayer, a prayer over this time of the word with me. Father, thank you for your word. Bless this time of your word. Empty me, Father, even right now. I got so many little things on my mind. and I'm even being tempted right in this moment to think about uh, how perceptions and all these other things. Father, empty me of that. I'll repent of that even right now, just sitting up here talking. Uh, let me zone in, let us zone in to, to be under your word 
and to hear from you and for that to produce fruit in our life, the fruit of godliness that will overwhelmingly allow us to come at temptation in a way that allows us to overcome it. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yo, so we're jumping into Matthew chapter 4. All right. When we jump into Matthew chapter 4, what we have to understand is the backdrop that we're getting at. The verse starts with then. Okay, and if you're an astute Bible reader, then what you know that then, at any point, when then starts a verse, it means that it's talking about something else. Right? It's connected to something different. You're not getting the full picture with what you're reading. And the then in this situation is talking about Jesus' baptism. You see, just prior to this moment of temptation, the Bible talks about Jesus being baptized in Matthew chapter 3. Right? John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, dunks him. And then when he comes out, the heavens, the clouds literally part. And God, like God's audible voice. Raise your hand if you've heard God, if you've, if you've heard, if you've heard God's audible voice. Nobody, exactly. Right? God's audible voice comes out and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then the spirit of God descends and rests upon Jesus and begins to work in him and through him. And as soon as this happens, the Bible says, then the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to tempt him. Now, when I say that, I know it can be a little difficult because for a lot of us, all the circuits that put together who God is are like shorting out right now. It's the idea that after this beautiful moment in Jesus' life, the spirit of God working in Jesus would say, okay, now it's time to go into the desert because we have some work to do. We're going to go get tempted by the enemy. And here's the thing, that word led in Greek is uh, it's like led. Right? There's nothing weird about that. The same word is used in Luke 4 in a parallel passage. In fact, in Mark 1, where the story is also told, Mark uses an even more aggressive form of the word, almost like picturing the Holy Spirit like, like shoving Jesus out into the wilderness, just like pushing him that way. And it'll be hard for us to understand, but, but the first thing I want to tell you about the nature of temptation is that you're not in temptation alone. When you're in the midst of temptation, it may feel like you're alone. It may feel like in the midst of temptation, in the midst of whether it's lust or whether it's greed or whether it's identity or whether it's bitterness, that in the midst of it, it's just you and a big, bad boogeyman and God seems to be somewhere else, but God is actually in the midst of it. You're not alone in the midst of temptation. In fact, you're in God's hand in the midst of temptation. You're in God's hand. And hear me, the reason that's important is because it means you're not just in God's hand when you're doing well. And when you're reading your Bible, great. And when you're praying, perfect. And when you've really had a good stretch at work and a good stretch with your wife and your husband or your kids and, and your co-workers, and you're doing great. And so as a result, you know you're in God's hand, but the reality remains that you were in God's hands when you were weak and struggling and, and, and searching for anything that can bring you life. And God seems to be the farthest thing from your mind you're still in God's hand there. You're not alone in the midst of temptation. And it's understanding that reality, right, that, that allows Jesus to walk into the desert, walk in the wilderness, say, all right, let's go. 
So being led by God's spirit into the wilderness so that the devil could tempt him, it says after he, Jesus, had fasted, this is in verse 2, after he, Jesus, had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, you are the, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So entering into the wilderness, the first temptation that Jesus encounters from the enemy. And by the way, I want to pause here and remind you that there is very much so an enemy to your soul. Okay, there's an enemy to your soul. And what I don't mean is that there's a boogeyman that makes like, like paintings in your house like jiggle in the middle of the night. That's not what I'm talking about. In fact, if you think the enemy of your soul interacts with you like that, uh, the majority of the time, the enemy of your soul has you right where he wants you. Because the majority of the time, that is not how the enemy of your soul desires to attack you, but rather desires to put us in positions where we're actually hungry and then begins to whisper things in our ears just like this. So Jesus, hungry, is approached by the enemy of his and our soul, and he says, hey, if you are the Son of God. You could almost read that as since. Jesus had just had this beautiful truth of his sonship affirmed, and the devil says, hey, since you're the Son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And here's the thing. Jesus had every means of turning the stones into bread. Nine chapters later, he was fixing to take this kid's Lunchable and turn it into enough food to feed like 5,000 people. He had all the means and power in the world to turn the stones into bread. So what was actually the goal of the temptation then? Because the goal of the temptation wasn't the hands. For Jesus to turn stones into bread or a Lunchable into a feast, none of that would have been sinful. So what was the intention of the temptation? That's where we begin, we begin to see the first pattern, kind of revealing the nature of temptation. Because when you look at the second temptation, it's really similar. In verse 5, he says, Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are, again, the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Again, like five verses later, angels are literally going to come and minister to Jesus. This isn't like a, hey, if you tell the angels to come right now, right? Like, he's in his, he's in his rights. Jesus is in his rights to be like, angels, come help me. They're literally going to come help him in like five minutes. Then take a look at the last temptation. In verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. We're talking about the king of the world. The kingdoms of the world are his. So what's the temptation? You see, for Jesus to turn food, stones into food, for him to ask or request angels to help him, for him to, to actually gain the kingdoms of the world would not be an issue. The heart behind any one of them would be an issue. The nature of temptation is that it's not after your hands. The nature of temptation is that it's not after your actions. The nature of temptation is that it's after your heart. 
The nature of temptation is that it's not after your hands, friend. It's after your heart. For in any one of these moments, for Jesus to understand what the enemy is telling him and to concede and to say, you're right, would, for him to, would, would be for Jesus to look at God the Father and simply say, the timing that you have for this is incorrect. My timing is better. The means you have for angels coming to protect me is not the means that I prefer. I believe I have a better way that I see this happening, so why don't I pursue that? You have preserved the kingdoms of the world so that I can inherit them and rule over them forever, but I have a way that avoids the cross by taking a knee, so why don't I just get it like that? Right, the art of temptation, the subtlety, the, 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 the trick of temptation is that it doesn't simply look at you and say, hey, why don't you do something wrong? It looks at our hearts and says, hey, why don't you doubt that there's something good? In each one of these moments, the devil is tempting Jesus to look at the circumstances and question whether God has it in his control. And let me be honest, that's the way the devil tempts us. That's the way the enemy tempts us. Because, hear me, when you're in a fight with, let's say, your spouse, your parents, your friends, the enemy doesn't come in and whisper, hey, why don't you yell at them? The enemy steps in and says, hey, they don't know. They don't know all the things you've done for them. The spark in that, to, to get into that confrontation is not to simply yell, but rather to begin to justify oneself, and in justifying oneself, one ends up in a confrontation. You see what I'm saying? When you're surrounded by good gifts like your, your kids and your family, right, the, the tactic of the enemy, the temptation is never to be like, hey, don't your kids suck? Right, like that's never going to be the thing that he whispers into your ear. That's never going to be it. He's never going to be like, hey, hey, your car is trash. That's never going to be the way he says it. Because I guarantee you, I got into my Prius this morning. It's not the best Prius. And I was like, I like my Prius. You see, the tactic of the enemy is for us to be on Instagram and to be like, man, don't you wish you had that life? Don't you wish your kids listened like that? Don't you wish your kids posed in a picture so that you could put it up there and show everybody else how great? Don't you wish you had a car that looked just a little bit more like that? Don't you wish your job looked a little bit more like that? And then out of that, the heart begins to compare and then begins to call into question the goodness that God has already given us through the good gifts. And in each and every scenario, the guy, the, the, the aim of uh, the temptation is to rob the attention that we should be putting on God in his goodness and then to put it on ourselves and what we define as right and what we define as wrong. The ultimate aim of each and every temptation is to say, why don't you dethrone the king so that you yourself can be enthroned? And you can define. Or maybe better yet, you could find Instagram and let Instagram define what your life should look like. Friend, the nature of temptation is not to go after your hands. The nature of temptation is to go after your heart. That's the aim. 
everything that our hands do, everything that our voice does, everything that, that, that the ill-intended actions that we live out once we've given into temptation were fought on a battleground of the heart far before our hands ever got to them. You understand what I'm saying? So then let, let me ask you, right? Let me ask you then. If that's the nature of temptation, if in your day, okay, in your day, whether you are going to work or whether you are with your friends or whether you're with your kids or your family or whatever else, if the aim and the intention of uh, the nature, right, the nature of temptation is to call into question God's goodness in your heart, what do you think that the victory over temptation consists of? Let's get... Thanksgiving, that's a great one. Let's get a couple more. I want to ask you, I, I want to get a little more, a little more call and response. What do you think the victory over temptation looks like? What does it consist of? Anybody? Speaking truth, that's a good one. Okay, speaking truth. Anybody else? Let's get like one more. Peace of mind. I think all of those are great. I also would say that all of them have at least a part to play in the way Jesus comes at temptation. Because check this out, this is, this is what makes, I think, this text incredible, is that the victory that we find over temptation has to do exactly with what Jesus does in response to each and every temptation. Check this out. Matthew 4. The enemy looks at Jesus and says, hey, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And Jesus looks back and says, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's easy to look at that and be like, oh yeah, definitely. Man leans on God's word even more than food. But what Jesus is quoting from is the text in Deuteronomy. Where the author of Deuteronomy, Moses, is literally like, yeah, man doesn't live on bread alone. Remember back in the desert when he gave you food from the sky. The text is actually not just about relying on God's word. It's about knowing that when I'm hungry, God can literally make a loaf of bread fall from the sky and feed me. He will provide. Take a look at, at the way he responds in verse 7. After he says, hey, you know what? Um, why don't you throw yourself off the highest hill? Why don't you throw yourself off the highest peak? Because surely God would never desire for you to ever hit the ground. God would never desire for you to have any hardship. And you can call angels down. In verse 7, Jesus says, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. And in that text, again from Deuteronomy, um, the, te the text is all about literally the Israelite people testing God in the wilderness. And check this out. And him responding with compassion. The whole text is about them grumbling that they had just got out from Egypt and they were in the desert and they were thirsty and they needed water. And so then they said, Moses, why'd you bring us out here to die? All for Moses to say, God, they want, they want to go back to Egypt. And so God says, strike the rock and the rock is going to bring out water. Jesus' response isn't simply a flippant, oh, no, 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 yeah, but, but you don't test God. It's the understanding, not just the utilization of the word, but it's, it's really him saying, no, no, you don't understand. God will actually provide, even if I were to throw myself off. Verse 8. 
God will protect me. I don't need you or me to force his hand. I trust him. And then in verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high point, showed him the kingdoms of the world. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. In that text, literally, literally, God, the Moses, God's prophet is proclaiming, hey, I'm going to bring you into the land that I promised you. It's not like he's just saying, hey, I'm only called to worship. He's saying, I'm called to worship a God that has promised to give me what he has promised to give me. What you've tempted me in with the kingdoms of the world is something he already promised. Just like he promised my people thousands of years ago. He said he'd bring us into the land and it's the land that we're literally sitting in right now. Each and every use of the word in order to contradict the temptations and the lies of the enemy was not just to say that I knew truth, but it was bringing out the realities that Jesus didn't just know truth, he knew God. When we read the Bible, no matter what we're doing with it, it don't matter if you read it from top to bottom, from left to right, if you can quote every single page of it, the aim of this book is not to give us facts about Jesus, but to introduce us to the character of God. This person who we can lean on and who we can trust, who we can serve and who loves us, who we rest in, who is the, the comforter of our souls and the provider of everything that we need, right? Like this is the person of God and Jesus combats the ideas and the temptations and the lies that the enemy gives him, not with just quoting scripture, but with revealing God's character and saying, I trust that more than I trust you. You see, friends, it's not hard to overcome temptation. You just got to trust God. Right? That's all. You just have to trust him unwaveringly, unapologetically, unceasingly, nonstop, with your every last breath, in every single circumstance of your life, with every single aspect of your life, with every single provision that you have, just trust God. But this is my last call and response for today. How you doing with that? How you doing with that? Who said poorly? All right. My wife knows what's up. You're doing poorly. Can I be 100 with you? So am I. So am I. And so the moment that someone says something negative about me, I don't trust that God will justify me and that God has the final say. I jump into defense mode and begin to justify myself and argue with somebody so that I can prove to them I'm not the person that they think I am. Why? Because I'm not going to try. I'm struggling to trust that God is saying, hey, I got you. No, no I'm, I, I struggle to believe that. And so when I hop on Instagram and I see some other dad who's got a six-pack, plus my man's kids are like, hey, I'm obsessed with this guy. 
I'm looking at myself and I'm like, man, bro, you're chubby and your kids barely like you. The whole time, nothing in me is saying, but God has, has covered me as his son and has put me in the position to father Leah and Jude, and I have to rest in him to do that well. No, 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 I, I struggle to trust God. And if I'm being honest, I look at you and I know that either you struggle to trust God or you are a bold-faced liar here today. Because very few of us, a.k.a. none of us, do. It's why the victory over temptation is not just trusting God. Victory over temptation requires trusting the one who trusted God. You see, because there's another reason why Jesus was led into the wilderness that day. It wasn't just so that he could prove that he was good. It's that he could prove that he was so good that he was going to be good enough for all of us. What's up? You see, it was, it was just like the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. See, just like Jesus had been baptized, the Israelites had come through the Red Sea and been baptized and entered into the wilderness themselves. And just like the Israelites and just like Jesus, Jesus had entered into temptation about provision and about sustenance and about protection, just like the Israelites had so many years ago. And, and just like Adam, right, like just like Adam, the first creation, Jesus encountered temptations that called into question God's goodness and whether he would do and provide everything that God said he would do and provide. But unlike Israel and unlike Adam and unlike you and unlike me, where everyone else on the face of the planet had failed, Jesus stood in the face of temptation and said, no, I trust him more than I trust you. And here's what's crazy about that. It's only through that man, through that man doing that in that desert, that the justification I long for is now the justification that I've been provided. You see, the approval that I long for that I'm oftentimes willing to fight for, that I'm oftentimes willing to leave the fold of God's wisdom and counsel in order to gain are actually only gainable when I rest in the hands of the one who's actually done everything that could be done to gain the approval that I'd so long for and desire. The story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, friend, isn't an example of telling you and showing you what you need to do and what I need to do in order to overcome temptation. It is the actual, literal story of when temptation met its match and Jesus smashed temptation into pieces. And when he overcame temptation, went to the cross and surrendered his life like one who had undoubtedly and, and overwhelmingly been succumbed by temptation so that we who, who's, who succumb to temptation all the time could now be justified, could now be approved like the one who fought perfectly in the wilderness. But... But now, 
for those that follow him alive with the same spirit that descended on him like a dove and empowered him to look the devil in the face and say, no, 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 I, I trust the Father more than I trust you. Friends, the, the ultimate means of overcoming temptation, the temptation that's alive in your heart, the temptation that's alive in my heart, is to fully understand that there is one who's already overcome temptation, not simply because he didn't do what was wrong and did what was right, because he fundamentally trusted the one who's made all things and he's making all things new through this Jesus, right? That, that's the, the ultimate means of overcoming temptation. To rest in him and realize that everything that I long for, everything that I really give myself over to temptation, believing I will gain, has already now been given to me through the death and the resurrection of the one who actually gained it. Even when I lost it. Right? This is it's the truth of the gospel and it, it literally gives us the power to look temptation in the face and say, you know what? I don't need what you have to offer because what you offer is what I already have. Not because I can perfectly navigate you, temptation, in my face right now, but because the promise of everything you have promised me has been given to me by the one who's done everything necessary to get it, yet gave it all up so that I could have it. Right? That's, that's the means by which we overcome temptation. If anything in your heart today thinks that the, the goal of, of our message today is for you to go out there, to buckle down the hatches, and to simply work through every single temptation that comes your way so that you can somehow uh, overcome it, gain all the status that you desire, that your heart desires to gain, friend, I want to lovingly tell you that's not the goal here. And if you do that, when you come out from that wilderness and that desert and that, that fog of justification that you're aiming for here, it's going to be hard. It's going to hurt. But I love you enough to tell you that you weren't called to be perfect. You were called to be humble. You weren't called to be perfect. You were called to follow a perfect one. And through him, to be empowered through his spirit, to look at those things that we so long for, but that the enemy makes us believe we can kind of swerve and gain in anything outside of God and to now through Jesus say no I have the evidence of God's love for me right that man who though he was perfect in the wilderness hung on the cross like a heathen that's the one that's promised me that what you say I can have through you I already have that's my desire for us today friends is that as we enter into this week understanding the temptations that are coming our way. Understanding that, hey, it's not going to be like someone's going to look at you and be like, hey, uh, when, when I was 13, let me be honest, someone walked up, one of them always walked up and literally like, here's a baggie of drugs. That's probably not going to happen in the Otters Week. I hope it doesn't. <laughs> Sincerely. Uh, but the tactic of the enemy will be so much more subtle in your life this week. And everything in you is going to rage and say, yeah, I want that. I want to show who I am and what I'm worth, what I'm capable of, and how I'm valued. 
And I hope that the truth of Jesus in the wilderness will remind you that everything you long for in that moment has already been given to you by this man fighting in the wilderness and in the desert. All right. Hey, I love y'all. Um, let's go ahead and pray. And then I'm going to ask Chris, can you come up and uh, strum the guitar a little bit? But let's pray. And then we're going to go into a song of worship to respond to the word. And then I'll jump back up and close this up. Okay. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this time today. Thank you for the truth that in Jesus we have the victory over the lies of the enemy that tell us we're insufficient, that we're not enough, that we have something more to prove. Um, thank you that through Jesus those lies are shut up. Not because of some ethereal idea or some theory but because someone literally, because you in your glory left the splendor of glory in order to step into the brokenness and to do everything that I couldn't, that we couldn't, so that we could have all of the things we desire but don't deserve. Help us remind us of that truth this week as we encounter the temptations that you are present in and are using in order to purify, in order to build in order to grow us in even when we fail in uh, places in your hands I love you I thank you pray these things in Jesus name amen thank you for listening we hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith 